0: I love the 4th of July weekend, one, because what it means for us, like we said earlier, that we are so blessed to live in a country that we freely get to worship Jesus, amen. amen? And two, I love it because every Sunday on 4th of July weekend, you can always tell who's going right to the beach afterwards. They got their swim trunks already on, towel in hand, Bible in the other, like we're, we got it right, you know, we're going to church first, but beach second. Um, we're starting a new series today. Uh, we're calling this series Names as as we focus in on the names of God and, and what that means for us. There's, there's a lot that goes into a name. Um, you know, the meaning behind a name. Even the tone in which a name is spoken can mean different things. You know, I was thinking about this with my kids. My I have two daughters. One of my daughter's name is Willow, and she's one of the, the, the sweetest. Uh, oh, oh, I have two, so they're both sweet, but um, <laughs> I almost got in trouble there. My wife was like, hold on. Uh, no favorites. Um, where was I going? Okay, I have kids. Yes, Willow. And uh, even when I say her name, right? Like when she's doing something cute, uh, you know, I'm like, oh, Willow, right? Like she knows I'm like pleased and happy with her. But there is times where I'll be like, Willow? May, which is her middle name. Whenever I use that middle name, she knows something bad is about to happen to her. You know, it's, it's names mean something and how we use it. Even your name means something. Most of you probably don't know what your name means, but there's meaning in names. And we're going to take just a couple weeks to dive into the names of God and what that means for us. Um, because when we really study these names, what it really means is our response to this. Our response to who God is should be impacted by this. As I was preparing this message in this series, I spent a long time um, with Pastor Dan and we, we have been beating this message up and just full like, transparency in preparation for this. God has just wrecked my heart. Uh, even to the point of tears a couple of times, just getting to the place of how much power and what these names mean. And as we studied it, he was just doing something in me. And my, as I prayed for you, I'll be honest, you're probably not going to like this prayer. I pray that God would wreck you uh, that he, he, through this. I, you're like, what? I, I hope that as we go through this series, I hope God does something in you that awakens something to, to maybe seeing him for the first time or really seeing him. And so I've been praying that over you. So, you know, you're welcome. Um, and the truth is these names, we sing them all the time. We quote them all the time. And I I asked myself, and why why we kind of leaned into this series was, do we really know what we're saying? When we sing the worship songs, when when we quote the books, do we really know what we're saying? And today's name we're going to dive into is the name I Am. I Am. And I Am is the translation of the name Yahweh, Yahweh. And this, this is the name of God, I am Yahweh. And we're gonna read in Exodus three where we hear this, but let me give you a little backstory Before we get to our piece of scripture in Exodus three, there's this guy named Moses. And when he was a kid, there was a, when he was a baby, there was a ruler who had put a decree out to stop a generation. And so his parents, his mom had to hide him and she put him in a basket and most of us know this story but if we don't, she puts him in a basket and she sends him down the river uh, to flee and kind of having that moment of, well, at least he'll have a chance, right? At least he'll have a chance to survive. It might be small, it might be hard but at least he'll have a chance. And he goes down the river and he finds his way in this basket to Egypt. And he's found by an Egyptian and he's adopted into the Egyptian family, into the Egyptian culture. And he lives his life this way for many years as he rules over in an enslaved people called the Israelites, which are his people. But he's living, he, he's, he's a fraud, almost. He's, he, he's a, he doesn't fit in. He's not really Egyptian. And as he goes through his life, eventually he has this realization that that's not who he is, and he flees to the desert. And then we get here in Exodus 3 where he encounters Yahweh as God is calling him to go back to Egypt and to free his people. And just so clear, in the Egyptian culture, there's gods for everything. There's gods for the sun, for the moon, for the harvest, for death, for life. There's gods for everything. And in Exodus 3, Moses finds himself talking to Yahweh, I am. And it says this in Exodus 3, verse 14, God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent you. Moses in this moment is in an encounter with the one true God. Yahweh, he's in the presence of God. And you have to read this piece of scripture and you can see As God is saying this, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. He's proclaiming some certain things. He's putting himself as the one true God. He's saying that here. I am. I'm it. And we can pull three things from this as we we look at this name Yahweh or I am. Number one, God is self-sustaining. He needs nothing. He he doesn't need anything to live, to be existent. He doesn't need anything. You know, as humans, we need things to live. We need food, we need water, we need love, we need care. God is self-sustaining. He needs nothing. But here's the powerful thing. He needs nothing, but he still wants you. Let that sink in. He needs nothing, but he still wants relationship with you and me. I heard a pastor say once, talking about this idea, that when it comes to God, you are not needed. You are only wanted. I I hope maybe some of us just need to hear that today. That when, when I think of Yahweh, when I think of God, I am. He doesn't need me, but he wants me. You're wanted. Second thing we can pull from this is God is proclaiming Yahweh. He is all-powerful. There is none above him. There's none above him. He's sending Moses into a land where there's, like I said, God's for everything. And he's saying in this passage in Exodus 3 that there is nothing greater than him. I am Yahweh. I am. There's nothing greater. And number three, he's eternal. He's been from the very beginning and he always will be. There's no start and stop when it comes to Yahweh. He's eternal. He is above time and space. He was there and he's here now. He's here with you, he he wants you, he's above time and that's why I love God when I think about God, when I think about my relationship with him. There's something freeing in, in submitting my life To a God, Yahweh, I am submitting my life to a God who isn't uh, restrained by time, has the freedom and movement to understand what's going on in the future, to carry me through that. And as you read this passage in Exodus 3, there should be one response when it comes to God's people, what that we should do. And as I was preparing this, I got stuck on this. Our only response, when we read about the I am, Yahweh, our only response should be reverence. Reverence. Reverence, Uh, this this idea of just overwhelming reverence for how great Yahweh is. How great God is. I mean, in Hebrew tradition, when they would, they, they, they had such reverence for even the name Yahweh, I am, that they came up with another word because they wouldn't allow the word Yahweh to leave their mouth. They came up with the name Jehovah. They, they, they had so much reverence for Yahweh, they wouldn't even just say it, they wouldn't even write it down. Jehovah, And we'll see these words, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Rapha, over the next couple of weeks and what that means. But you can see the reverence here that they had for him. And I have to ask myself, as the body of Christ, have we lost what it means to be reverent, to have reverence for the I am? to to have this heart that is just fully submitted and reverent to the greatness of God. I mean, I think about in our life today, we settle for things we settle for, for giving our life or our reverence to things. I mean, we, 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 we give reverence to our sports teams, we, we, we cry for movies, we, we battle for our political party, we worship some celebrities, we put our faith in the stock market, but God, if we're honest, can have Sunday mornings and a couple minutes each day of the week if he's lucky. If we're honest, the I am, Yahweh, the, the, the greatest, nothing greater than him, And if we're completely honest with our life, we give so much more time and reverence to other areas than him. And I'm not up here speaking this to you and and condemning you. I'm saying this to you because this is how God has been wrecking my heart, revealing those things in my life. One of my prayers this week as I prepared for this message was, God, don't let me sound as judgmental to the people as I was to myself this week we got to get this and we have to understand the fact that we were designed to worship the I am we were designed to worship him we were designed to be reverent to him that's how we were designed for but we often settle for lesser forms of worship from what we were designed for even the Israelites in the story of Moses Moses goes in God shows his power you know the plagues come through the the locusts all that Finally, Pharaoh says, if you've seen the movie, you know, like, you know, he gets all mad, and Moses says, let my people go! And the Israelites get free, and then God shows up over and over again, he splits the sea, he does all these amazing works, they see the power of Yahweh, and Moses goes up to the mountain to get the Ten Commandments. What do the people do while he's up there? They build a calf. They build a statue of a golden cow. It's not even a cool animal. Like every time I read that, I'm like, couldn't you have done a lion or something? They build a cow and they begin to worship this cow. And it's because they lost sight of the I am. They needed something tangible. They needed something in the moment. And I'll be honest, I used to read that passage about the Israelites and I would point my finger at them like, can you believe these people? They saw God do all this amazing stuff. They saw God move in all these powerful ways and they build a cow? But then I started to think, we do that every day. We might not be building a cow, but we build things in our life and bend our knee to it over and over again. We were designed for worship. We were designed for this. But it should only go to the I am. Yahweh, they diminish this moment with God in their minds. If we don't wanna live like this, there's things that we need to do in our life. If we want to live a holy lifestyle, meaning set apart, there is things that we need to start to really practice in our life. First one is this, we need to start to live like his words matter. We need to start to live like this book matters, that it's different than every other book, that it's life-giving and life-changing. We need to start to live like the words of God matter. I, anybody heard of a pastor named Francis Chan? He, does, he has a quote that he used from a time when he was a missionary and he was a missionary in China and he was in the hotel and it was pouring rain, like monsoon level rain. And he looked out the window and there's a group of kids in a muddy puddle drinking the water. And he thought to himself, that can't be good. It's muddy, there's probably trash in it, there's all this stuff, but they're still drinking it. Yeah, they are getting some hydration, but it can't be as good as pure water. And here's the truth, when it comes to the Word of God, when it comes to the Bible, we do this as well. We often rely on someone else to talk to us about it. We often rely on a podcast to tell us about it, a Bible study to tell us about it. That's not wrong, but when we have the pure, perfect, heavenly Word of God that can go straight to our soul, I wonder how much we miss out I'm not tapping into that. How much do we settle for the muddy water? The second thing we need to do is we need to start to live like his presence matters. That when his presence matters, when when we are in the presence of the I am, like it's important and it matters. Moses, when he finds himself in this encounter with God, it says that he takes his sandals off because he is an holy ground. Do we have any areas in our life that are holy, that we put aside for to be in the presence of God? We need to live like his presence matters and we need to also live like our character matters. We need to live like our character matters. Okay, everybody smile at me because I'm about to say some stuff. We take advantage of the grace of Jesus, we do. Jesus has offered us this amazing grace that takes our brokenness and our our sins and our failures and he says, I'll love you anyway. Especially the American church, we've, we've learned to take advantage of that. We, we, we just kind of know that Jesus is gonna forgive us and he loves us, so we just kind of live however we want to. We take advantage of the grace of Jesus and we take advantage sometimes of how good we have it. Do you know that there is churches and Christians around our world that have to hide their faith? They don't have the freedom we have. They face persecution. If it got out that they were a son or daughter of Jesus, that they had given their life to Christ, they would die for it. I mean, let's be honest. Like, the kind of persecution we face in America is like, oh, man, they got my In-N-Out burger wrong. You know, like, it's true. Sometimes we become lazy because... We, we forgot what it feels like to have this faith with God that, that's so reverent and so real and so, so in-depth. We might have lost sight of that. I pray we can get back to acting like how we live our life and the character and what God calls us to be matters and we stop abusing the sacrifice of Jesus. You guys still with me? Good, some of you are. Jesus also refers to himself as the I am in John 8, uh, verse 23. Uh, it says this, Jesus continued, you are from below, I am from above. You belong to this world, I do not. This is why I said that you will die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am, I am who I claim to be, you will die in your sins. Who are you, they demanded." I find that very interesting. He just told them who he was. He finds himself around religious leaders, he tells them who I am, Uh, he tells them who he is and their response is, who are you? Man, the blindness of humanity. In this moment, the reason why this is such an important moment, in this moment, Jesus is proclaiming his divinity He's proclaiming that he's more than a man. And it really makes these religious leaders mad. This is the moment where the, the plan to, to, to take Jesus' life, to take him to the cross, this plan starts here. They start to get worked up and angry. How could this man be claiming he's God? I am, Jesus says. Jesus does this to make it clear that we know that there is power in the name of Jesus. And he says it there, that our salvation is linked to him. It's only through Jesus. And if we, if we call ourselves Christians, there is some things that we have to be in agreement on. What these religious leaders did not agree on these three things. Number one, Jesus was more than a prophet. He was more than a prophet, he was more than just a good teacher. He he lived a perfect life. He, He came from heaven down to earth. We have to believe that. Do we believe Jesus is who he says he is? I love that in the scripture, he's asking the same question to us today that he was thousands of years ago. Do you believe who I say I am? Number two, He is the way to salvation, the only way to salvation. There is not multiple roads to heaven. There is one road to heaven, and it's Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. That's it. And number three, he's the fulfillment of the law. He, he, He came to fulfill the law. to to create this opportunity for us broken humans to step into relationship with him, to not be held by the law, but be held by the standard of where we are with him and what we say he is. The question we have to ask ourselves when we read the words of Jesus, is the I am Yahweh, is he the God of your life, or are you? I am. I mean, how many times, I'm strong enough. I can do this. I'm wise enough. I'm, I'm, I'm ready for this. I'm the ruler of my life. I make the decisions for my life. When we are called to submit to the real I am, and realize I can't do this, on my own, I'm not strong enough, I'm not wise enough, I need Yahweh, I need him. And then just before Jesus is taken, we see him say this again, the plan has been put into effect and the soldiers are on their way to capture Jesus and take him to the cross where he will go through immense pain and suffering for us. And it says this in John 18, verses four through nine, Jesus fully realized, all that was going to happen to him. So he stepped forward to meet them. Who are you looking for, he asked. Jesus the Nazarene, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. As Jesus said, I am he, they all drew back and fell to the ground. I am he. It's important to realize that in this translation it says, I am he, but there is no word he in the original Greek context. I am. And at this moment, the soldiers that are there to capture Jesus, they hear his name and fall back. There's power in a name, people. And in this passage, I see over and over again the blindness of humanity. The blindness of humanity because they see his power. In in just his name alone, they are knocked off their feet. And they respond with this. Once more he asked them, who are you looking for? And again, they said, Jesus the Nazarene. I love this response here. I told you that I am he, Jesus said. And since I am the one you want, Let these others go. He did this to fulfill his own statement. I did not lose a single one of those you have given me. I mean, think about the blindness of humanity. Physically, knocked off their feet. Knocked off their feet in the presence of Jesus. And they still stand up and say, we're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene. Jesus, the Savior of the world, is right in front of us. They've seen his power, and they still question who he is. I ask myself all the time, how much do I do that? How much do I feel the real power of God, Yahweh, that I am? And when I find myself in another situation where I need his power, I question if he can do it. I mean, how many times do we turn to other things for sources of power in our life, our friends, our spouses, our jobs, our security, whatever that is, how many times do we turn to them first when we are sons and daughters of I am? Sometimes we're missing the point. And then it says here at the end, I did not lose a single one of those You have given me. This is referring back to Jesus losing none in John 6 38 through 39. It says this For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. And this is the will of God that I should not lose even one of all those he has given me, but that I should raise them up on the last day. Do you know that you're a gift? from God to the Son. You're a gift, and his word says that he will lose none. Pastor Dan says this quote all the time. You know how sometimes our mentors will say something and it just goes We don't, I'm sorry, Pastor Dan. (laughs) Like we hear it, but we don't really believe it. It's just, it goes into our brain as like a cool memory bank of a cool statement, but the power of it's not there. That was me with the statement for a long time. Dan says this all the time. And it was just, shoo, until I got it. This statement right here, Dan says this. Dan says this all the time. You are worth God's son to God. You are worth God's son to God. We gotta believe that. That this I am, this almighty Yahweh loves us so much that he sacrificed his son. He gave his son for you and for me. Gosh, I, I feel like we've lost the power of that. How crazy that is. That the name above all names, the creator of the world loves us that much. Our life should look different based on that knowledge. It should. And as we go about our week this week and we celebrate tomorrow and we go about the rest of our week, there's two things I want us to do. There's two things I want us to start to practice. Number one, we need to remember his power. We need to remember the power of I am. That he is not some far off magical creature in the sky granting wishes. He is the I am, all powerful Yahweh. There is none greater. No one has been before and no one will be after. He is the God that created the universe, the the God who split the seas, the the God who rescued men from the mouths of lions, the God who entered the flame, entered the fire with three men, and they came out with nothing singed on their bodies. He is the God who can raise dead men to life. He is the almighty I am. There is nothing like it. What happens? If the church starts to get this, what happens if the people of God start to realize that we are serving the great I am? I can tell you what happens. Our second point, we need to remember reverence. We need to get back to reverence. We need to start living our life in a way where our character, our works, our reverent heart matches the words we say. The truth is, in our society, kneeling in a reverent place of worship is a sexy position. Our position in the world that we we idolize and we glorify are the ones who are the toughest and stand the strongest and are the best communicators and and the strongest among the strong. I think we should start to change how we view the world and start to celebrate the people who spend their life on their knees in reverence to I am. Instead of doing it on their own, the the, the ones who go before us who are just submitted to God. Dan says all the time, as you can tell, I think Dan is a mighty man of God. I've used him a lot in this sermon. Dan says all the time that he wakes up every day and he throws his his face into the carpet and praises God. We should live our life the same way in a position of reverence, position of reverence to the I am Yahweh. Amen? I want to do something with you. Can everybody close your eyes? If you want to, you can put your hands out like this. You can, or Whatever position you need to get into to get your heart to a place of reverence. Close your eyes and start to think, what is stopping me from getting there? What is stopping me from seeing the power and magnitude of God? Believing He is who He says He is. What is stopping me from getting there? As I begin to pray, I just want you to take that reverent position and inside your heart just start to proclaim His greatness. That He is who He is. He is the ultimate. There's none greater. Let's pray together. Father God, we love you and we praise you. We bow our hearts to you, God. Submitting our hearts to you, saying let your will be done in us, God. We, we, we believe in you. That you are who you said you were. That there's none greater than you, there's none more powerful than you. You are the I am. Be ruler over my heart. Take away my pride. Take away the things in my life that separate me from you, God. be over everything in my life. Don't let me believe the lies of the enemy. It tells me different. I am submitted to the I am, Yahweh. In your holy name we pray, amen.